All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Okay, everybody, we have made it to Friday. It is October 28th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast, and I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. All right, Bosch, let's get to the headlines. Recession? What recession? The U.S. economy rebounded in the last quarter. What will Twitter look like with Elon Musk in charge? The chief twit, as he calls himself. And it's almost Halloween, the most popular candy in America, and which sweet surprisingly made the top 10? Yeah, and we will get to that Twitter story. Uh, It is a big day in social media history today. All right, let's start with some economic news. It looks like fears of a U.S. recession are on hold for now. The U.S. economy rebounding in the last quarter, growing 2.6% from July through September. It is the first quarter of growth so far this year. Two consecutive quarters of negative growth, which we had earlier this year, that is one of the definitions of a recession. One of the biggest areas of improvement was the trade deficit. Consumer spending, which makes up two-thirds of the U.S. economy, continuing to increase, although slowing down a bit. Inflation, as we know, is at near record levels. Americans are spending more of their money on essentials, things like food, housing, and gas, and they are dipping into savings to pay for vacations, restaurants, and other activities. Most, despite the relatively good numbers here, most economists still expect we will be in some type of recession by next year, right? What does a recession even mean anymore, Jill? Uh, We were like, you know, it's so interesting because like you just said, we had two straight quarters uh, where the economy got smaller, uh, so that was the technical definition of a recession, but then it didn't meet other merits of a recession. And now there's concern that despite these good numbers, everyone's pretty convinced now. Uh, almost nearly every company out there, there's a Bloomberg index that says there's a 100% chance of recession next year. Um, one note here. So we have this like headline good number, and economic growth is usually a good sign. But unfortunately, the continued growth and the fact that consumers like you and me and everyone out there apparently continues to spend means now that the Fed has an extra interest in increasing interest rates. So uh, inflation is not under control. So now they're looking at those good numbers and the fact that people are spending and they're going to be like they're going to raise interest rates further when they meet again uh, in early November. And one of the reasons that the growth, you saw this growth in Q3 is that the consumers are up, the businesses are, are behind the jump, that you know people are still going out to restaurants, uh, still buying all these various things. And so we're just in this really weird economic situation because the prices are rising, but people are still spending. 
Mortgage rates are starting to cool the housing market, but housing prices are still really high. Unemployment, uh, which is a key figure here in any recession, is still at a five-decade low. Earnings, uh, this has been a huge earnings uh, period on Wall Street. Some companies are showing terrible numbers. Some companies are showing great numbers. So it's really it's it's a really bizarre economic environment, and I think we're still dealing with the COVID uh, ramifications, right? You know what? I was surprised, actually, g- given that for Wall Street, sometimes the good news is bad news, as you mentioned with the Fed. Um, I was surprised that the Dow shot up after the numbers came out. I, I would have expected actually a big sell-off um, yesterday. <laughs> I just wanted to mention Unilever, which makes 400 brands like Dove and Ben & Jerry's, uh, they are raising prices or have raised prices already by 12.5%, which is the biggest increase in their history. Uh, there was a 17.8% increase in household products like detergent and cleaning products. Yeah. That is insane, Mosh. I mean, and, and look, we've all gone food shopping or just shopping in general or paid for anything. Inflation is so real. Um, I am surprised that consumers haven't pulled back a- any more than they have. Well, we, there were some numbers, and I think we talked about it either uh, earlier this week on the podcast or last week, but that the credit card companies continue to see people spending. Uh, and you know, there was a period, a brief period there during COVID when American savings were at a record high. And now people are going back into credit card debt because you know maybe it's just that you know we'd have to talk to a retail expert um, and maybe we should bring one on, uh, in the coming weeks, but that maybe people are just accustomed to certain products and certain things. And so they're willing to dip further into credit card debt to, you know, continue. And so now you have Unilever and these other brands continuing to raise prices because we're not pulling back. So it's this game of chicken, unfortunately. One sign of weakness in the economy is, as you mentioned, the housing market. Mortgage rates top 7% for the first time in 20 years, the latest milestone in a rapid climb that has really chilled the housing market. The rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage averaged 7.0% this week. That is according to a survey done by the mortgage giant, Freddie Mac. Just seven weeks ago, the rate was below 6%. A year ago, it was just over 3%. And that is uh, real money that, that affects people and, and the types of homes that they can afford. Yeah, let's, let's try to put it in like really basic terms on what the percentage means. So two years ago, the average home price in America was just under $400,000, $395,000. Today, two years later, the average home price in this country is $518,000. $120,000 more in just two years. Rates have doubled. So when you look at the numbers, let's assume a 20% down payment. The average American is paying $25,000 more for the average home, but the monthly payments with these rates are now up 114%. So if you put 20% down on a home that costs $518,000, your average uh, on a 30-year mortgage Instead of paying $1,300 a month, which is what you would have paid two years ago, you're now paying $2,800 a month. So more than double their housing affordability has fallen to its lowest level in nearly 40 years. That was as of August, by the way. Um, and the big issue that, that when you talk to realtors is that you have typically uh, people in the market moving up buyers, people who are looking for bigger homes. Well, all of them are locked into record low rates from like the past few years. So many of them are not willing to sell their homes right now and level up and and move up into a larger home. So it's a really bizarre time. I mean, again, we were talking with the trickle of COVID on the job market, the trickle of COVID on the larger economy, the trickle of COVID uh, on the real estate market. And so you had this, you know, you could typically predict 
trend lines here. And yet you continue to have very expensive homes, very high rates, um, stuff wasn't getting built. Uh, and it's just, it's this bizarre time. And I think, you know, I've been hearing from, from people on Instagram that, you know, they were still, they were trying to wait out the crazy period, Jill, to buy a home. Now rates are above 7% and not many people are selling. And most rents are also extremely expensive. I was going to say rents are through the roof, but it's just too corny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but said, yet I but said, it said it anyway. It. You still said it. But yet I, I couldn't help myself. Yeah. Um, so there's just, you know, housing is essential. It, not to state the obvious. It, it, there's just not a lot of good options for people. All right, switching gears. Depending on when you are listening to this podcast, Elon Musk may very well be the owner of this little online town square known as Twitter. Earlier this week, he visited Twitter's offices in San Francisco. He posted a video of himself walking into the building holding a sink. He tweeted, entering Twitter HQ. Let that sink in. He also changed the bio on his Twitter profile to Chief Twit. Before we get into this, like, how did he come up with that idea? Who said, hmm, maybe bring a sink into Twitter when you go? Well, yeah, you know, given that he also has to kind of earn the trust of people and he's had some very critical things to say. But is it like that he spent everything but the kitchen sink? Is that the reference? Which metaphor are we working with here? Uh, so that's what I assumed that it was yeah. until I saw his tweet. Yeah. Um, and then you're, uh, the other question is, where is that sink from? Is that just a sink? Did you pull it out? When you're the richest somewhere? man, when you're the richest man in human history, you can find a sink. Uh, true, fair point. Okay, on Thursday, he offered a glimpse into his plans for the platform, writing a letter to advertisers. I want to read a bit of that letter now. Quote, the reason I acquired Twitter is because it's important to the future of civilization to have a common digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be debated in a healthy manner without resorting to violence. He continues, Twitter obviously cannot become a free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said with no consequences. In addition to adhering to the laws of the land, our platform must be warm and welcoming to all where you can choose your desired experience according to your preferences, just as you could choose, for example, to see movies or play video games ranging from all ages to mature. Fundamentally, Twitter aspires to be the most respected advertising platform in the world that strengthens your brand and grows your enterprise. I think the big question, Moshe, on everybody's mind, is he going to let Trump back on the platform? What do you think? Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's that's one question. It is interesting that he um, felt the need to release this letter. Uh, you know, Twitter depends, its revenue depends on advertisers. And, the you know, his initial statements that it was going to be complete freedom, going to allow complete freedom on the plat platform, clearly didn't play well. Uh, advertisers were clearly concerned, so people told him, maybe Elon, you should put out the statement, saying, no, 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 this won't be a quote. I like I like the expression, by the way, free-for-all hellscape. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it's interesting uh, because at this point, by the way, Trump has built his own social media platform, Truth Social, that he has investment in, uh, that he's growing a following. It kind of is one of the few conservative-focused social media platforms town squares, if you will. I mean, it's basically just an exact replica of Twitter, but run by Trump. Um, so we'll see what happens there. By the way, Jill, I want to read one other part of the letter uh, where he talks about why he bought Twitter. He said he didn't do it because it was easy. He didn't do it to make money. He did it to try to help humanity whom I love. And I do so with humility. Um, humility is not typically a uh, trait we uh, affiliate with Elon. Especially because didn't he say I didn't do it to make more money? 
It's like we get it. We get it. Um, Elon, you're rich. And, and you're you know, the richest person. Oh, yeah, totally. Even even with his like Tesla stock being down, I think that he dropped from like two hundred something billion to just a below two hundred billion dollars in terms of value. Uh, but you know, a lot of uh, business people are looking at what he paid for Twitter, forty something billion dollars, which by the way was the price uh, that he offered back in uh, the spring with its stock down. It's worth, you know, he, they sh- he should have been able to take 10 to 15 billion off, but because of all the shenanigans he played, you know, he was in, he was out, he was in, they're suing him. Uh, he had to pay the full price. So he definitely overpaid for this platform. So, you know, he's particularly interested in it. One thing he's interested in doing too is reassuring the staff there. A report had come out uh, earlier this week that he was going to fire 75% of employees at Twitter. He said, uh, apparently, in a staff meeting this week, that he's not going to be, that, that number is not accurate. But he will certainly be reorganizing that platform. Uh, and what is also interesting that people should know, and Twitter's never really publicized this, but it, it, based on internal data at Twitter, the majority of their audience is liberal. So, you know, I know that he has issues with bots uh, and he's trying to grow the platform and try to potentially bring conservatives or more libertarians to the platform. But if he, you know, upsets that hardcore liberal audience, which makes up the majority of Twitter users, he's got a business problem too. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how he begins his ownership. Uh, everyone uh, check the clock for 5 p.m. today. That is the time the deal needs to close by. So you'll be getting an alert probably if you have any news notifications that Elon, unless something goes totally awry, is the new owner of Twitter today. Mosh, on the note of uh, politics, we're on the countdown to midterms, 11 days till Election Day. Yeah, uh, Jill, we're going to try to keep track of all the headlines as we head into November 8th. Uh, We talked yesterday about that big debate in Pennsylvania between John Fetterman and Dr. Oz. Fetterman actually appeared at a rally uh, after the debate uh, this week over in Pittsburgh, a friendly rally with a friendly crowd. Uh, Let's take a quick listen uh, to what he had to say. It going to be easy after you know having a stroke after five, uh, five months. In fact, in fact, in, in fact, I don't think that's ever been done before in American political history before. Actually, you know, after that stroke, I got knocked down, but I got back up. So it's interesting, Jill, because in that setting, uh, you know, he was pretty straightforward. It was a comfortable setting. He wasn't going up against a clock. Uh, It wasn't a debate format. He says he knew this was never going to be easy having had a stroke five months ago. You could hear the people in the crowd say, we still love you. Uh, The stroke, by the way, we should remind folks, uh, has left him with an auditory processing disorder, which affects the brain's ability to filter and interpret sounds. But his doctors are saying that Fetterman has no work restrictions. He understands what's going on but he just has difficulty interpreting it and then speaking exactly what he means. But one notable thing related to that on Thursday is that Chuck Schumer, he's, of course, the Senate majority leader right now, hoping to keep his majority. Uh, He greeted Joe Biden at an event in New York on Thursday and was caught on a hot mic uh, where he effectively says to the president, quote, it looks like the debate didn't hurt us too much in Pennsylvania as of today. So that's good. Uh, clearly, a Schumer and other top Democrats, effectively an admission there uh, that the uh, they're very worried that that debate could turn the tide there. It is a 50-50 Senate. So every single seat, especially these handful of competitive races, is going to matter for which party uh, has the majority after November 8th. There is nothing better, Moshe, than a hot mic moment, <laughs> as long as it's not our own. <laughs> we could we could do a whole podcast on hot mic moments, like the hot, the the best hot mic moments from history. Well, just 
hot mic moments where Joe Biden was present or speaking. Um, in this case, <laughs> it wasn't Joe with the issue. It was Chuck with the issue. But yeah, Biden has the famous like that, you know, Obamacare was a big effing deal. You know, he's he's done a whole variety of them through time. But yes, hot mic moments. Amazing. And you would think that the the really prominent folks by now would know that, that you know, around cameras, be careful. Um, it also could be a record setting year when it comes to women in governor's races. There's some new numbers from 538 saying there are 12 female gubernatorial candidates who have at least a 50 in 100 chance of winning. Up until now, only nine women have simultaneously occupied governor's mansions. The number of women in Congress, though, will likely decline because, uh, according to 538, several of the most vulnerable congressional candidates are women. Yeah, it's it, it, we've had several elections where it's been a record number of women coming in. Uh, as you mentioned on those governor's numbers, that is significant because if uh, the 12 women who have a likelihood of winning, some of those are incumbents, by the way, uh, that would take us up from the current nine women out of 50 states. So in 50 states, we have 41 men and nine women uh, currently in charge. Incidentally, by the way, as we talk about Congress uh, and women in Congress, the Republicans right now have uh, a candidate in Indiana. Her name is Jennifer Ruth Green, who, if elected, she would be the only black Republican female congresswoman and only the second uh, black Republican woman in the history elected to the chamber. She's running in a competitive district over in Gary, uh, in the Gary, Indiana area right now. And the Republicans right now have made a point, especially on the House side, of trying to get a more diverse pool uh, of candidates as they run here. And so they've made a point in their recruitment to do that. All right, Jill, we have a lot more coming up on this podcast, but I first want to thank our sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. I just started taking their AG1 supplement a couple of weeks ago, and I'm excited to share my experience with all of you. As many of us know, trying to get all your vitamins in can be hard to keep track of and can get pricey. I was actually previously taking some vitamins with breakfast, lunch, and dinner, some in the refrigerator, uh, some that are just on the counter. And so keeping track was a little challenging. And so I was very excited to try AG1, which I've been doing for a few weeks now. It's just one scoop you put in a glass of water, and I found that experience to both be simple, affordable, uh, and really giving me that extra energy that I feel I need every day. The powder actually contains 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamin and minerals. It has prebiotics and probiotics that support your gut health. All of this, great for your immune system as we head into cold and flu season right now. And here is the extra good news. Athletic Greens is giving all Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs of AG1 that are easy to take with you. You can head right now to athleticgreens.com backslash monews to learn more about that deal, uh, what AG1 can do for you. You can also get a discounted monthly subscription or just try it one time for one month. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash monews. M-O-N-E-W-S to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, Jill, it's time for our favorite segment, the speed read. We'll try to get through as many headlines as we can here. The first comes to us from CNBC. On Thursday, you might have noticed some wild tweets coming from the New York Post account, (laughs) racist, sexist headlines. Uh, Jill, I hear you laughing because, of course, the New York Post is one of our favorite tabloids and tends to have interesting headlines, no? Well, that's the whole thing because uh, a lot of people are commenting that they didn't like the headlines were outrageous, but they didn't think that they were fake because that's sort of the MO of the post sometimes. The the, the post will get you with their headlines. <laughs> but incidentally, it was hacked and you could tell a, a discerning reader of the New York Post could tell because I mean, literally some of these headlines were outrageous. I, I, I won't even read them on the podcast, but basically, you know, editorial saying that AOC needs to be assassinated, that Hunter Biden needs to be killed. 
uh, a whole bunch of uh, racist and offensive headlines. Those posts were quickly removed. Incidentally, the account has nearly 3 million followers on Twitter. A spokesperson said, quote, we've taken down the vile and reprehensible content posted by the hackers and continue to investigate the cause. Notably, this is the second hack on a U.S. media publication in recent weeks. Fast Company actually had to shut down their website for about a week. Hackers had gained um, access and sent out obscene and racist push notifications to Apple News users. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Elon uh, does more to uh, improve security because, you know, for those of us who follow Twitter, they've had hacking issues for years, including like President Obama's account got hacked. So they do need to uh, make an extra effort to figure out how to, you know, because you can do a lot of damage by hacking these accounts. All right, from Glamour, Disney just introduced its first plus-size heroine in a short film about body dysmorphia. Disney's new animated movie is called Reflect. It tells the story of Bianca, a ballet dancer who battles her own reflection, overcoming doubt and fear by channeling her inner strength, grace, and power. It's all part of Disney's short-circuit series of experimental films devoted to topics like developing one's self-esteem and promoting body positivity or acceptance of physiques regardless of size and shape. Jill, the uh, reactions here have been all over the map. Uh, some people are uh, praising them. Some people are saying, Disney, where you been? Some people are saying, why is it just <laughs> right. a short film about a plus-size heroine? Why didn't she get a full feature-length film? It, you know, Disney, it's, it's tough being Disney. By the way, Jill, I was going through a bunch of the tweets, uh, as I was noting, and the, this was one interesting one. Uh, somebody said, good uh, for Disney uh, with this film, but I hope that one day they have a person using a wheelchair be a superhero. So there's clearly other groups of uh, people who are looking to uh, be represented in Disney films. I've noticed in a lot of children's books, I've start there's there's a lot of diversity, a lot of representation. I, a lot of kids books have kids in wheelchairs. Um I, it, it's actually wonderful and heartwarming and uh, I'm glad that my daughter is seeing all of those different images. Okay, from Variety, Prince Harry memoir sets title, publication date. This book is going to be called Spare. It's out January 10th, notably missing the important holiday shopping season. Per Variety, the title likely a reference to the original nicknames given to Harry and his older brother, Prince William, who is currently next in line to the throne, the heir and the spare. Harry's going to be talking about his mother's death, love, and grief. He reportedly got a $20 million advance. That has not been confirmed, though, by anybody. The royals are uh, reportedly a bit worried, though, about what he's going to say about them, about his dad, Camilla. Of course, uh, there was a little beef reportedly yeah. with William and Kate. So, Yeah, you could say there's a lot of beef in these past couple of years. Um, you know, going back from his departure as a royal um, and, you know, the awkwardness at times around his grandmother's funeral in September where he wasn't allowed to do certain things because he's no longer an active royal. Uh, by the way, as we think about him as the spare, some people are also noting it's no longer really accurate that he's the spare. He was once the spare, but now that William has had George, Charlotte, and Louis, Harry is actually now in fifth in line. Uh, he keeps moving down. I should add, Jill, that the publisher promises Harry will have, quote, raw, unflinching honesty in what he writes in the book. Okay. Here's a question for you. Would you rather be the heir or the spare? I think I'd rather be the spare. Right. Like, I think my spin on the spare book, obviously, I haven't been there for his personal experience. I can't imagine the uh, incredible pressure and the tragedy he's experienced with with his losing his mother and all the various things. But, yeah, isn't the spare the more fun, right? You don't have to be king. 
Right. I don't even mean with Harry and William. I just mean in general. Oh. I would. I think I'd rather be the spare. No pressure, but you still get most of the perks. Yeah, exactly. Though in those modern royal families now, Denmark, uh, you know, the, a lot of the European countries still have royal families, even though they really haven't had kings in charge for a century plus. A lot of the spares are getting less and less royal treatment. Like in many of those countries, <laughs> they, now, they now have to work. Like they now have to like actually get jobs and they're like, it's, it, it doesn't mean that much to be a prince in some countries these days. Uh, all right, Mosh, let's talk Halloween candy. The important stuff of uh, a few days before Halloween. A thousand percent. So some of this may surprise you. Some of this may not. There's a new ranking out just ahead of Halloween weekend from candystore.com that reveals what candy is most popular in the nation and in your state. Okay, Jill, let's first talk about nationally here. Here are the numbers on the top 10 candies uh, in America based on candystore.com. Number one, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Number two, Skittles. Three, M&Ms. Followed by Starburst, Hot Tamales, Sour Patch Kids, Hershey Kisses, Snickers, Tootsie Pops, and 10th in line, Candy Corn. Candy Corn still cracking into the top 10. What? Isn't that Isn't it universal? I thought it was universally loathed. You know, Candy Corn does have some fans. I mean, clearly enough fans were like, you know, these I get, Skittles, M&Ms, Hot Tamales, Sour Patch Kids, Peanut Butter Cups, but like Candy Corn still making the top 10 in 2022 is a pretty incredible thing as far as I'm concerned. I'm also surprised. So my daughter has a peanut allergy. I'm surprised that Reese's peanut butter cups mm. are number one, given how many younger people have peanut allergies now. Jill, I feel for everyone with a peanut allergy because I have to say I love me some peanut butter cups, and I hope that's not ableist these days of me to say uh, for all the people. No, no. I mean, I I'm fine with it. I it's just it, this is I'm dreading Halloween because of it though. Yeah, I I can only imagine. Uh, the survey, by the way, Jill, goes deeper state by state. Uh, and I'll actually link to this in the show notes uh, that so you can see what uh, is one, two, and three in your state. But despite being number one overall nationally, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups is not actually most popular in the most number of states. Right now, there are M&Ms and Sour Patch Kids are each the top candy in seven different states. M&Ms, for its part, is number one in Iowa, Colorado, New Hampshire, Oregon, Ohio, Kansas and Vermont. So it really kind of lives there in the plains and then has some love there uh, in the <laughs> New England area. Uh, meanwhile, Sour Patch Kids, Alaska, Delaware, hmm. Illinois, Maine, Massachusetts, Nebraska, and New York. So uh, it looks like basically Sour Patch Kids and M&M's kind of split New England and somehow uh, the Alaskans, big fans of the uh, Sour Patch Kids. Also, Moshe, according to the National Retail Federation's annual Halloween spending survey, candy spending could reach an all-time high of about $3.1 billion this year. Uh, that's a lot of candy. That's And that's just part of the overall spending on Halloween. $10.6 billion Americans will be spending on Halloween this year. All right, Moshe, it's Friday. Let's talk about what we are watching, reading, and eating this weekend I'm going to kick it off with uh, what I'm going to be watching. I'm going to finish season two of Industry on HBO Max. It just got renewed for a third season. The show, if you're not familiar, follows young bankers in London. It was recommended to me by uh, my husband and a couple of other people, and I'm loving it. Yeah. By the way, I'm really excited for the... I well, I was excited for your return to the podcast, Jill. Uh, just for folks who are just coming in or might have missed the first couple episodes this week, Jill and I uh, launched the podcast together back in June. And then she went on maternity leave. And one of the segments 
that I remember you suggesting at the outset was we should have some stuff on Fridays, including what we're watching, reading, and eating. And I tried to do it, Jill, a couple times by myself when I was doing podcasts by myself. I was like, all right, guys, here's what I'm reading this weekend. And I was just like, this is really sad. I don't know what to talk to. So I sort of killed a segment for the past three months, Jill. Um, okay, well, I'm glad we could bring it back. And yeah, it just doesn't land when you have to do it yourself. You're There's like, just nobody to banter you're with. Like, <laughs> you're, like, you're like, let me tell you guys what I'm really into eating this weekend. <laughs> like, but with no reaction. It's no fun. Anyway, all right. So that's you're watching Industry on HBO Max. Right now, I should tell people, uh, I just finished Empress season one on Netflix, which even if you're not into history, and I'm like a huge history buff, uh, it takes place in kind of 19th century uh, Austria, Hungary, uh, that empire that existed back then. And it's like really well done. It's actually a German show uh, that Netflix bought that I really liked. And my wife just texted me that she just watched, she, she's in India right now uh, with my mother-in-law, and on the plane ride over, she watched Tell Me Lies on Hulu and says that I need to watch it. Interesting that she watched, did she watch it on the plane? Yes. So it's very racy. I've, I hope she and her mom weren't watching it together because <laughs> I feel like it would be uncomfortable. I'll, I'll have to follow up. Uh, Alex, you're probably not listening to this uh, podcast in India, at least I hope you're not, but uh, I, I'll get to the bottom <laughs> of that. No, I imagine they were in their own seats uh, with their own headsets watching their own stuff. All right, so that's what we're watching. All right, Jill, here is what we're reading. I actually just started this uh, on my flight over from LA, uh, Discipline is Destiny by Ryan Holiday. Uh, he is actually the best-selling author of The Daily Stoic, uh, which a lot of people look to for interesting advice uh, overall. So I look forward uh, to continuing to read this book and I'll let folks know how it is on the Instagram account. And I've actually talked to Ryan about having him uh, come on the podcast in the coming weeks to talk about the book, but it basically talks about the uh, power of self-discipline and self-control. We'll see if this does me any favors. And for eating, I think we need to stick with Halloween candy here. Mosh, what is your favorite Halloween candy? What will you be eating this weekend? So it's funny. Uh, you know, I, I talked earlier about my love of all things peanut butter uh, Reese's peanut butter cups, uh, and Reese's pieces. Uh, but also, and this is not necessarily a Halloween candy, but actually, as we talked about candy, I was like, I haven't had a whatchamacallit bar in a couple decades. <laughs> and I used to really love that bar. It's funny because when we were, we were talking before we started the podcast and you were like, I think, you know, whatchamacallit. And I thought you genuinely couldn't remember the name of the candy <laughs> that you that you liked. But no, it's a whatchamacallit bar. Yeah, it has the okay, wafer. So, it's like uh, the hazelnut. Like, I, you know, it's really underrated. And I think it's a, it's a classic. I can't believe I'm even going to say this, but I am going to be handing out and eating Yum! brand candy. It's this organic candy line. It, I have become a little bit more cognizant of the ingredients in food. One, because my daughter has food allergies, so I have to read everything um, really, really carefully in terms of the ingredients. But also just when you do that, you're just kind of like, what is in all of this food? So at least if they're going to eat candy, <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, what? have it be Yellow organic. seven, yellow <laughs> seven, red eight, and green nine are not uh, self-evident to you. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I, I'm excited for Halloween. It, I love Halloween. It's always fun. Are you dressing this year or just your daughter? Um, she is potentially dressing up. She never usually does. She, you know, talks a big game and then Halloween rolls around and she doesn't want to ever dress up. Uh, I usually just buy a really funky wig and put that on. So there we'll see go. what color I go with this this year. 
Keep it simple. All right. I want to thank everyone for listening to uh, the Mo News podcast this week. By the way, we will have a special extra bonus edition for you out just later today. Again, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it might already be in your feed. It's a deep dive interview into the midterms. Uh, my conversation with Jake Sherman of Punchbowl News. He takes us through all the various scenarios, uh, what Washington might look like in the next couple of years, uh, and how that could play for both Biden and Trump's decision on whether they're going to run in 2024. All right. And everybody, thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Please review us in the app store, of course, if you like us so we can continue to grow. And you could always right, right. Follow only us. review us if you like us. Otherwise, yes. Don't oh. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Uh, we also have our newsletter. You can subscribe on monews.bulletin.com. And oh, as always, follow Moshe on Insta. Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll try to keep the feed going all weekend with some interesting stories. And I appreciate everyone over there uh, sending me your messages with what you're experiencing and your reactions and takes on the news. Always amazed to see the reach of the Mo News community and your expertise. Everyone have a great weekend. All right. Have a good weekend, everyone.